Welcome to Behind the Peaks podcast, where we celebrate and make visible the professionals from Himalayan community in America by uncovering the challenges, difficulties, as well as the accomplishments that they have encountered along the journey. If you are someone pursuing higher studies in America and aspire to enter the professional world, or you are already in the professional world, look no further. The unique life stories of Himalayan professionals will not only inspire you, but also remind you that you are not alone. I'm your host, Tenzin Jigme, and in today's episode, we have someone who is a statistics auditor at NBA, graduated with a Bachelor of Arts at Hunter College, and went into Adelphi University for a Master's of Science in Sports Management and Marketing. He has extensive experience coaching and working in the field of basketball. He's very much involved in the Himalayan community, and most importantly, a professional. Pemba Sherpa, thank you for taking the time to join us. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here, bro. Pleasure. How are you doing today? Doing well, you know, just uh, enjoying another summer day out here in New York City. Just like I said before, this podcast is going to be having a conversation with Himalayan professionals. And the format is going to be where we start from your childhood, then we transition from your childhood to where you are in your present career, and then hopefully talk about where you're going next. You are a statistics auditor. Yeah. What is that? That's uh, it's quite a title for a role like that, but it's really just essentially working in the NBA's um, basketball operations team. Um, we're really just handling event operations when it comes to live games for any of the NBA teams across the United States and also helping out different in-house teams like the marketing team um, and any other teams that may need our help, digital content. So we're really just making sure everything runs smoothly for all the games every night. What kind of stats specifically are you looking at? Yeah, um, well, the stats we're looking at really just anything from the game stats, like the points on the on the scoreboard to the timeouts left in the game um, or the times that are listed per play. So we're just making sure it's correct, right? So um, just be, that being said, we have a lot of the sports betting being legalized um. in America. So the accuracy of these points being relayed to the proper and appropriate player is very important, right? For example, um, let's say if LeBron James has 26 points and 9 rebounds, right? So he would be one rebound away from a double-double. So we have to make sure that all his rebounds are accounted for. So just in case, let's say he did get that one rebound, but the in-house statisticians in that arena gave it to another player by accident we have to catch that discrepancy because um when it does go out on national tv and it goes out on all the you know all the online websites like google yahoo sports and espn um that's how it's going to be relayed so we have to make sure hey like this is correct like lebron actually did get 10 rebounds or he actually does have nine rebounds and we're making sure that that's correct is it always live yeah so that's the that's the tough part about the the role Right. So it's it's live game and we're really just um, making sure on the spot that everything's correct. I mean, obviously, we get the whole minute and a half um, buffer time between the live shot and when it goes out to the nation to the nation or internationally. Um, But we have that minute and a half cushion to kind of make sure like, all right, everything's correct. I see. So you have some time in between it's being displayed or publicized. Right, exactly, exactly. And sometimes that one minute and a half is not enough, man. It's just oh, like so many things happen in the NBA right. game that it's, it's intense. 
Besides that, do you take any stats after or before the game or only during the game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, basically before the game, two, two hours before the game, um, we're making sure that we're in contact and really just on the headset basically with everybody in the arena making sure hey guys like do we have the appropriate numbers for each players do we have the um, player stat sheets ready for each team right um are the coaches listed appropriately sometimes you know even if it's the nba the players names are spelled wrong on the computers and we're really making sure of all that before it goes out because that's just that would be a huge embarrassment right <laughs> obviously it's going to be embarrassment for nba obviously. yeah yeah <laughs> Interesting, interesting. So how did it all came about? Why are you even in this field? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's a really long story, but just I'm sure we'll be able to get on that um, a little bit more later on. But just to put it into us, just to cut it short, mm-hmm. I didn't see myself in the traditional role of being a doctor or a lawyer or uh, engineer, and, you know, in those sorts. I mean, don't get me wrong, those, you know, fields are very... Um, lucrative and very financially stable and you know it's great to have in terms of like the status in your community but it's just something that i didn't feel where my um, passion was and it's just well primarily for me it's if i'm passionate about something i know i'm going to be going 110 percent at it right so if i could give 110 percent at something that i'm passionate at then i know i'll be successful down the road not diving too deep on on the details what is your day-to-day like so are you a nine-to-five job or non-traditional or how does that work yeah it's a very non-traditional role right so like i'm sure like any um somebody anybody would tell you it's uh nba games can vary from 2 p.m on a saturday to 10 o'clock or 11 p.m on weekdays right um depending on when the game is for example because we're in new york we're on eastern time And Western Conference games like Golden State Warriors, they play on Western Conference time. So they might start, I don't know, like 8 p.m., but over here it'll be 11, 12 p.m. I'm sorry, 12 a.m. at night, right? So that's that's the game schedule. Um, but again, like I'm there two hours before every game. So it depends on what game I'm listed for per night. My hours can really just vary from... If it is in a different time zone, do you travel to that time zone or do you stay where you are and then work from there yeah thankfully we don't have to do the traveling right because that's yeah that would be very tedious and it just would be very tiring too but what we do is we really are stationed in Secaucus, new jersey Mm -hmm. that's our headquarters for um, operations and basically just to give you a layout so my desk has about five screens in front of me right (laughs) yeah so we have five screens um we have a communications board in front of me and then from there, we're able to really just communicate with every team in the league on a given night. And um, so we have a communications board, five TVs, one TV is relaying the national feed mm-hmm. that everybody else sees. The other four are just giving me different, um, you know, different outputs of stats and data. Do you monitor just one game at a time or how many games do you monitor at a time? Yeah, per night, we would monitor one game per night, right? Because... Um, it's just so much, so many things to take care of, right? And just making sure all everything is under compliance, making sure that all the data is correct. Um, but sometimes we will be given two games, so it would be a back-to-back. It wouldn't be on the same time. Oh, I see, yeah. I see. Right after one finishes, you have to go into the next one. Exactly. If we take it back all the way to where you came from, which matters a lot to where you are right now. So where did it all start? You were born in Nepal. Stayed there for, you said, about until uh, you were 10. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I was born in Kathmandu, Nepal. Lived in Tabel, Kathmandu, right? So 
my mom and dad they they made a house there they built a house there excuse me and um you know when when i was i don't remember maybe four or five years old yeah five years old you know i we they had my little brother and they came to the states so i was still there because i was continuing my school oh um, i see i went to galaxy over there okay <laughs> <laughs> i know it's pretty illustrious um, right. but i can vividly remember some memories in galaxy that that i had and so yeah, I was there till about 10 years old when my parents came back and then they also brought me to the states. How were you as a student at that yeah. time? <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't um I wasn't really, to be honest, I wasn't a, a high acing student, right? I was just but I wasn't a bad kid either. I wasn't right. making trouble. I was really just trying to make it by every day <laughs> over there. Um but I do remember certain times when I had gotten in trouble for not doing homeworks and right. For missing assignments or just being lazy, and you definitely paid the price over there. And Your brother, to be clear, is Tenzing Sherpa, who we had a great conversation on the first episode of this podcast. Compared to your brother, you had a little bit more time uh, staying there, and when you transitioned from Nepal and came to the states, you have a bit more understanding of the transition, of what that means, uh, how it matters to you. So, can you talk a little bit about how that transition felt for you? Yeah, it was man, it was such a huge culture shock, right? Because coming from Nepal, especially Galaxy, um everything was so strict, right? There was no leniency. If you didn't do your homework, it was, you know, it was pointed out outwardly, um and you paid the price for it, like I said. And the teachers obviously were very strict. At that time, I don't know how it is now, but at that time you would get a beating, right? The teachers were giving out beatings over there. Um, so when I came here to the States, I went to a middle school, PS70. PS70 was a middle school, and that was over there in Queens, New York. And um, yeah, there was just so many things that were different. Like, for example, they were just, because it was a public school, we weren't wearing uniforms, right? So that's the first thing. Galaxy, every time, wearing a uniform, tie, you know, all that stuff. And then over here, we're not wearing uniforms. Um, there was a lot of things that I had to learn in terms of like just the social interactions with people, right? Um, and then the language barrier wasn't that bad because obviously we were learning English in Nepal. So, you know, I definitely was able to um, transition a little easier for that. But yeah, it was just a lot of things, just the nitbits of it. Like, for example, a, a, a student would have the guts to like talk back to a teacher here right, and like... Right. And I was just so amazed by it. I mean, not in a good way, but I was like, dude, you're going to get your ass beat. Like, you know? <laughs> but um, just small things like that. And then also just I, a lot of um, cultural differences, right? For like, I can't really say off the top exactly what they were, but I definitely remember um, I was definitely the black sheep of the class. Is Galaxy uh, English medium? Or? Yeah, I do definitely remember them teaching us English. Uh, yeah, I see. So that's you, what that you, means. You, you, yeah. That was not an issue for you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Trying to speak English. Thankfully. But, because when I came to America, well, we did learn English in Nepal, but it's just a conversation that is a bit different and hard to get used to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like any other language, when you're learning it, you learn the formal right. version of it, right? You learn the one that's very polite. And um, there were definitely like, for example, a lot of slang words in America that I right. never knew about. So when you're coming here and you're talking with your peers or, you know, or even your teachers, there were, there were words that I just couldn't understand. And at that point, I was really just fresh off the boat. And um, I was just like, I don't know if it was me being polite or if it was just me being shy. I never really asked to find things out. Like, I didn't know what certain words meant. So I just kind of just went with it. So how did you learn those words? Oh, man, trial and error. <laughs> trial and error. And just um, once I started, like, finding Nepali and Sherpa friends, I think that kind of, like, 
sped up my growth in terms of like understanding the the cultural differences here in America. Interesting, because your brother talked about in his middle school, in, in his early years of mm-hmm. schooling, um, he was exposed to more of outsiders, Western Europeans and mm-hmm. uh, Hispanics, Latinos. Right. In, and he was not much exposed to Himalayan community people. In PS70, did you have uh, Himalayan students? Oh, man, not even one. Not, oh, not wow. one. Yeah, I just like... The only Himalayan friends that I found were really just later on when I went to junior high. And that was only because we, um, my parents knew other Sherpa, Nepali parents, and they kind of like brought us together. And that was the only way. Other than that, it was it was really tough. So at that time, you didn't have much trouble acquiring the language and mm-hmm. uh, coming to the States. But in, you, you did mention how there were some differences, cultural differences that... That was kind of weird for you. And uh, uh, if I can remember, when I came back, I think the most significant uh, difference that I saw was in Nepal, uh, if you remember. We sit for the entire day in one class, and the teachers move from class to yeah, class. Yeah. But here, mainly teachers sit, and we yeah. walk around yeah. changing <laughs> classes and so forth. So that was very different for me. Oh, man, I remember that now. It was hectic, dude. <laughs> I was just so scared. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it to class right. on time and the schools because it's a public school. It was right. so right. packed. And that was that was hell, man. That was just like I was running through people and just trying to make it to class. I was like, once I got to class trying to find the seat. Right. Right. And after all that done, I was just sweaty and just like discombobulated. <laughs> it was all over the place, man. I know you're quite passionate in the field of basketball. When did you start playing the sport? Yeah, so um, I think I was probably 13 years old when I really started like picking it up right um just the Himalayan friends that I had mentioned um that I had linked up with they were already into basketball because they were raised here born in America um so they knew about the sport I did not know about the sport right in Nepal the only sport I probably knew was um cricket table tennis and then wrestling I don't know if that's a sport but (laughs) wrestling was there no soccer um, no, I didn't get into soccer at oh, all wow. either. Yeah, yeah. I was really just, uh, like, I just kept to myself so much that I didn't do soccer. But I know soccer is huge right. everywhere else, right? Um, but coming here and just, you know, watching those guys play basketball, I kind of wanted to learn myself. And, of course, the first couple of years, I was so terrible at it. It's ridiculous. And, um, you know, it's funny because I tell the story to anybody who asks, like, why I chased the basketball dream when I used to. And it's um, it's crazy because... I had no idea like how to do certain moves and how to even shoot the ball, right? Obviously, like anybody else, that would start off. And then um, I had the responsibility to take care of my little brother at that time. So I didn't have the the time to really just go to the parks, meet up with friends and play basketball. It was really just finish school, go pick up the little brother, go home, stay home until parents come in, right? And because obviously my mom and dad, they were both working the whole time. I had to take care of him and we couldn't really just venture out too much. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I was so pent up on trying to get better at basketball right. that I would keep my brother at home. And then right outside on our backyard, there would be a garbage can. Right. And then I would just start shooting on the garbage can with a dirty ball. It was Thinking about it, it was like, it was like super unhygienic. Right. But it was just like I would shoot closely and move back, shoot closely, shoot, shoot further and move back further. And, and I was just like starting to practice. And that was literally how I learned to shoot the ball. And um, yeah, man, every time I think about that think about those times it's it's good memories before that even uh, let's say before even you came to uh, america what did you want to be if if you remember Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely remember bro again like i was saying when my parents were in the states right they were working hard and then um, i was there being raised by my aunt my auntie 
um, you know, love her to death. And her, she had like five kids that were older than me, mm-hmm. right? And one of the oldest ones, his name is Pemba, Pemba Sherpa, and he's a, um, a captain at a at an airlines in Nepal. So every time I saw him, man, he was like the guy to be, you know, because he would always get picked up by his employees. Everybody would salute him. And I was like, wow, this is this was really my first role model I ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's what I want to be, a, a, a pilot. But then, of course, me being a little ambitious, I was like, I don't want to just be a pilot. I want to be a fighter pilot. Okay. <laughs> so I definitely, that was my first dream, man, to be a fighter pilot. When was it that you thought, oh, I might be interested in uh, being a basketball player? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I mean, basketball obviously was available, right, at the time. And it was something that my friends were doing, something that was popular and something that I could do right away. Mm-hmm. So that's something that really just got me going. And it definitely, I still kept the dream of being a fighter pilot um, in the back pocket. Um, but at that time, basketball was really starting to become more and more appealing. But um, I remember when uh, 9-11 happened, right? After 9-11, um, obviously, America went to war. With Afghanistan and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the Middle East countries, right, right. and from that, all the news that we watched of just, you know, the soldiers coming back and really being depressed about what they did, that really struck a chord with me. And I was like, you know what? If this is what these soldiers and fighter pilots have to do, and mm-hmm. they're bombing, you know, by accident or not, like innocent lives, that's right. something that I would definitely not be okay with. So I think that's what kind of my dream of just being a fighter pilot was just kind of just died away on that point. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Even though uh, you saw those horrific uh, stories or heard about those horrific stories, mm-hmm. uh, however, did you not want to be just a pilot or? Yeah, yeah, because I don't know. It's just something like that burns inside me, right? It's right. Just, if I find something, I want my version of the best of it. Right. So my version of a fighter pilot. Or being the best fighter, excuse me, being the best pilot was being a fighter pilot for mm-hmm. whatever reason. And, you know, growing up and seeing those horrific images and hearing those horrific news is just, I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't justify those things. And right. I'm sure like, you know, a lot of other people, they were traumatized by it. Right. So me growing up at that young age um, and just witnessing that, that really just made me open my eyes and say, you know what? I think fighter pilot isn't the way to go. I did ask your brother because your brother wanted to be a, a basketball player as well yeah, yeah. And, uh, and a producer. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, I, I did ask him and he said he did not take much of the heat because you're the first one. <laughs> the first one the first one going through the wall is always the best. Right, right. So what, what was that experience like? <laughs> oh, my Lord. That's a whole story of its own, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, being the older brother, I definitely tried leading the way, um, leading the way towards what I was doing and um, whether it's choosing a, a really out of the ordinary um, pathway or whether it's having a girlfriend, it was just, everything was just like, I got the blunt force of it. And then obviously, look, like I always say to myself and everyone else, um, parents aren't professionals, right? Like they're, it's their first time being parents as well. Obviously they have tips and, you know, help helpers from our other relatives that will right. teach them, you know, what's right and what's wrong. But, you know, being a parent is tough. You know, they're, they're doing what's best for us and what they believe is best. So anytime they would yell, or they would definitely beat my ass. It was really just out of love, right? And um, obviously at that age, I was like, oh my God, this is so unfair. But now that I'm con- coming to understand it, um, yeah, they definitely were very strict with me and they definitely 
I definitely got the the bigger end of the stick with that. Yeah. I mean, I I do understand how uh, parents are. They are basically doing uh, trial and error. I mean, if, right. if you think about it, they're trying and then if, if see if it works or not. Uh, unless they have a second one, I guess. Then mm. they're trial and error for the first yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, it's like this one worked with him, so we'll, <laughs> we won't beat his ass on this one. Yeah, yeah. So you talk about your being here in junior high, mm. and then you transition to high school. Yeah. How's that experience? I, I guess you kind of now feel like you are settled in america mm. i guess and mm. then your your high school experience might be a little better yeah it definitely got better along the way um because you know you make more friends you learn more about the country um and then you learn all about like the little cultural differences but you know what it's like being in new york was such a blessing because like you have such a huge diversity of people and you don't really stick out like a sore thumb like you think you would because you know there were indian kids in my class there were hispanic kids there were um you know kids every from all over the world right and every year you would have somebody that's like freshly from another country and then they would you would see them transitioning slowly so it was really just amazing and you know it was accommodating in a way because everybody knew like look we're all from different places but at the same time like we're all here for the right reasons you kind of mentioned uh, you were trying to be a pre-med was that during your high school or just college mm-hmm. yeah no so in high school Bryan high school is 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 a little weird well public schools in general is weird in new york because they don't really make you um, at least when i used to go to high school they don't make you choose a particular field or subject uh-huh. to study it's very um general right, right? So it's very general and, um, you know, I think I did fairly well in high school, uh, but math and science, again, they just weren't my strong points. Um, But when I went into college at Hunter College, you know, Hunter College is known for producing some of the best nurse um, programs. And that was all right. So I was like, okay, great. This is a great nursing field, um, great medical field. So why don't I just give it a try? And I definitely gave pre-med a try. I had all the, you know, pre-med courses um did all the science courses and yeah i definitely was like this is not for me man yeah just like your story actually i went to brian as well mm. and i went to enter as well yeah so i am going to enter i mean i just have one more class brian was the first time i came uh, to america and i just transitioned to brian high school mm. actually and it was a uh, well the reputation uh, in our community is that mm. Brian is not a good school. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's not the best, yeah. Right, that's that's cuz it's a zone school and right, it's public right. school and so forth cuz that that was the uh, impression among the mm-hmm. uh, Himalayan community and I, you know it's it's funny because um when I went to Brian High School it was I definitely saw why they didn't think it was a great school because obviously it was zone school so the local neighborhood kids would get in um without even having to pass properly in junior high. Uh-huh, right. So obviously you had that that bunch where they really weren't invested in their academic career. Um, but at the same time, Bright High School had great like honors program. Right. So they had some really great um, group of kids that were really just going all in on their academic career. And I remember my valedictorian in Bright High School went to Harvard Harvard University, right. and um, a lot of the people I knew in, in Bright High School went off to really good colleges. Yeah. At at that time when you were in Bright. Uh, were there Nepali Tibetan students or no? Oh my God! I think there was like one Nepali person at that oh, time in wow. Brian. Yeah, there was one Nepali person, and then there was another um, who was Sherpa. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, there was literally not even a handful of people that I knew. Oh that were Nepali. wow! Yeah, because when I went, uh, we have clubs. You know, mm. we have oh, yeah. Nepali club, Tibetan club. So that we have a lot of students. Yeah, from our community, and we have. Uh, 
I'm, I'm pretty sure they have a multicultural night at when you were there, maybe. Oh, man, honestly, I can't even. You don't, you don't I don't remember. think I remember a multicultural night. It was just because um, when I was in Bryant, I was so acclimated to the group of kids there um, that I really didn't see myself as like a Himalayan kid, you know, oh. and that was really weird oh, thinking about it now because because we didn't have such a big population of Himalayans that I just really saw myself as one of the kids from Queens instead of kids from Nepal, right? At that time, did you feel like an outsider or did you feel like you're yeah. one of them? Yeah, I think um, there were definitely times when I felt like an outsider, um, you know, just in terms of like what we do at home and, you know, what we identify with in terms mm-hmm. of like our holidays, right, right. per se. For, um, for example... When we had New Year's, it was on February. Right. Right. So when I introduced that to our friends, they're like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, that's completely off. Um, but, you know, sports actually was a great way for me to, you know, find new friends and right. um, acclimate to the environment because everybody plays sports. Right. Whether you're from America or whether you're from India, Nepal, China, mm-hmm. everybody plays sports. So mm-hmm. when I played sports, played basketball more um, specifically, it was just like I was just one of everybody else, you know, and I really it was easy for me to transition. So you played for uh, the Bryant varsity team? Yeah, yeah. I, You know, what's funny is I tried out um, two years. So the first year I tried out, I tried out for the junior varsity, which is the ninth and 10th grade team. Right. Um, did not make that team. And then the next year I tried out for um, the varsity team, which I did make the team. And that was that was a great experience, man. Wow. If I can remember... If you are uh, selected for the JV team, mm-hmm. right, I think you continue for the four years, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, yeah. If you're selected for the JV team, you really have your path laid out. Right. Um, because if you do well in JV, then obviously the JV coach will transition you to the varsity team. And, right. and it's it's a, it's a it's an easier transition, right? But um, if you're just trying to go for the varsity team like I did, man, that was a rough tryout. It was like, so just to put it into perspective, the first day of tryout would be about two to three hundred kids in the gymnasium and you would just be a number right not even a name just a number and then they would call your number you do a certain amount of drills and play some games and you would just hope to get noticed by the coach um so i got lucky enough to kind of get selected by the coach to come in for the next second day the third day fourth day and so on and then i actually made the final cut and that was you know that changed my life so you finished your high school, played for varsity mm-hmm. and basketball. Did you take honors, AP? And yeah, stuff like, I did. I did. Oh, wow. I actually took some AP classes. You know what's funny is because um, a lot of times people would think that if you're in a basketball team or any sports team that you would have less time for studies. Right. But it was the opposite with me. Like right. every time I joined a team, it put more structure into my days. Right. So I was actually more focused in everything else that I did. So being I was, I was in the varsity team my senior year. And, you know, that really just helped me to structure my days properly and organize what I was doing. And I actually ended up in three AP classes. And that was, yeah, that was insane. I mean, I was definitely like not the smartest in the classes either, but I was recommended for two out of three of those AP courses. Um, I was pushed up. So how were you doing in those AP classes? Yeah, you know what? Just to give you a little bit of a context, right? So junior high, right before high school, I actually failed math. Like I literally, it was a 55 grade. So I had no idea to this day how I even got into high school without going to summer school, but I did. So I don't know what's going on with that. So the system the system might be broken, <laughs> but I'm thankful for it. Um, so, yeah, like I said, it just 
before sports, um, I was really just, there was no structure to my days. Right. And there weren't any focus, right? I wasn't focused. I wasn't motivated to do anything. And if I was to have a math homework, I was really just procrastinate. Sometimes I would forget it. Sometimes I would just not even try at it. And that's what led me to fail um, in junior high. And then when I went to Bryan High School, I really started thinking more about my life and um, put structure into my life from sports. And that really helped me prioritize things better. And because of that, like, I've, I don't know why, but I've always had like great grades in, um, in history class, history, um, English literature, doing great at it, right? And then from those two courses, the teachers there actually pushed me up into AP courses. And I remember this to this day, Miss Morales from my English oh, class. I, I think I know that. Oh my here. God, I love her. She's so great. And she actually read one of my papers that I had written for a, a project. And she came up to me one day and she was like, you know what, Pema, like, this is some really good stuff. Like, right. she's like, I don't, I think I want to push you up to AP because we would only be slowing you down. Right. And at that time, you know, like I said, I wasn't the best student. Right. So I thought this was a joke. So I looked at her like, are you serious? <laughs> and she was like, no, I'm definitely serious. Like, I want to push you to AP right. starting tomorrow. Wow. And I was like, this is insane. I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'll try it. Right. And then when I got to AP to answer your question, it was such a jump from the level of like, just the content of work that they were doing compared right. to what we were doing in the regular classes. Right. Right. Oh my goodness. I was like, okay, I definitely need to step it up. Right. And um, the teachers in AP were great. Um, they were very helpful. Mm-hmm. But the students there were so competitive, nice. right? So competitive. And because obviously they had a goal in mind of where they want to be and right. where they want to go next year in college. Right. So they were all just, you know, just shooting for the highest marks. And that helped me to also become, well, my competitive side came in. Mm-hmm. And that helped me to kind of also get um, get my work get my work done properly and just learn a lot more efficiently. It was the environment. It was the people who mm-hmm. were around you. Yes. And, uh, and the basketball, obviously, giving you some structure in your, in your life and pushing you to be better. And once you transitioned from your high school to now Hunter College, mm-hmm. did you start right away thinking of being a pre-med? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So right when I got into Hunter College, I thought about what I wanted to do in terms of the major itself. And um, I selected pre-med route right away, right away before the freshman freshman year even started. Um, you know, I just I wanted to give it a try and I wanted to see if it was if it, if it was right for me. Um, but I had no idea what was in store, man. Yeah. When was it that you realized you won't be able to be in NBA? Mm, mm, yeah, no, um, you know, that was a lot of uh, soul searching on my end, right? Um, so when I came back from Nepal, I'm trying to play for the NBA, excuse me, the Nepal basketball team, it was a great experience. Um, and I came back here and I actually tried for what's called the, um, the excuse, yeah, the ABA, American Basketball Association. They're a semi-pro basketball team, excuse me, league in America that has teams all across America. And I went to try out for the Baltimore um, Baltimore Ravens, I believe is what they're called. Yeah, that's I know it's like the same as football team. And then I tried out for Philadelphia Skyrockets. Baltimore Ravens did not call me back, but Philadelphia Skyrockets actually gave me a call back. And they were like, hey, we love what you did in the tryouts. And we would love to have you come back um, and join us for training camp. And I was ecstatic, right? I was so happy. I was like, this is it. This is where, this is my road to NBA. And then, um, uh, at that time, I was unemployed. 
I was right out of college and I had a psychology degree, which wasn't really much. So I was like, okay, so this is the route that I'm going to take to enter the NBA somehow. And then when they called me up, I asked for the details, for example, like the room and board and how much they, they would pay in terms of the paycheck. And it was no way near what I needed to have to really just financially support myself and my family down the road. Um, so, you know, I think it just came to a realization where I was like, you know what, um, I think I'll keep this in the back pocket and I'll try to really just make some money for now. And um, I think that was one way for me to kind of just tell myself without really just admitting it um, that this route is going to take a little bit more than I hope to hope to gamble. Right. Because, um, you know, my parents, obviously, they're immigrants and they came here and my dad's, um, you know, an Uber driver. Uh, my mom was a, well, excuse me, she still is a housekeeper slash babysitter. So they were doing these um, really labor intensive jobs that paid decent enough. But again, it was just like I realized that I had a responsibility to not just do what I wanted to do, but make money out of it and support their, um, support them as well. And, you know, being the older brother, I, you know, I just picked myself up and said, all right, if I want to go down this basketball route, I need to make sure that it's, it's a financial option to it. The, that was after college. Yeah. After Hunter College. Yes. So, okay. So I think it would be better if we go back a little bit. So you did try to get into pre-med. It took your prereqs, if I'm yes. not wrong. Uh, yeah. Just like I did in the last four years. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's hard. It's it's mm. not easy. Uh, how were you doing at that time? Um, you know, I remember ex- the exact classes, right? Um, microbio, I actually got a B in it, uh, and I actually passed microbio. Wow. Anatomy, physiology. There's two parts right. to A and P. A and P one, I barely got by. A and P two, I tried twice for two semesters, right. and I just couldn't make it. And um, the way that it's formatted is you can't take that class like A and B two every semester, right. right? Like it's only once a year. Mm-hmm. So I wasted two years on that, right? I tried two years for A and P two to to pass it, and I just couldn't. Um, not only could I not pass it, but it was really just not sticking. You know, like the concepts and um, the 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 whole philosophy behind like the medical um, programs and the education, it just wasn't sticking and it wasn't appealing to me. So I realized right there, like, hey, if for some some reason or somehow I become a doctor, I'm really not going to be a good doctor. <laughs> so I didn't want to risk that at all, man. Interesting. So wait, you're a uh, bio major? Uh, yes, yes. You so it, yeah, it was called a bio major. And I'm sure like, as you know, like there are... Um, pre-recs that you have to fill right, and right. there is a gpa requirement right, right, so right. if you fall under a certain gpa right. you kind of just you're you're kicked out of the program right. yeah when did you realize that this is this is not for me did you take mcat no no i didn't even get that far man no no no, no, no. I see. I see. <laughs> so i i did uh okay so up until my sophomore year right um after a&p2 right. i was doing a&p2 sophomore year and then my um junior year as well so AMP2 during my junior year, I was like, dude, I'm not passing this grade. Like, I'm not getting the appropriate grades needed to be into to get into a, a medical school. Right. So I just looked into the future and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to pass this. So I really just went, um, transitioned into uh, nursing at the time because obviously the classes are very, um, very much the same. Right. Right. What the courses that they take. And then the nursing also was like, 
very competitive, obviously, as you know. And they were like, oh, we only take 60 kids. And, you know, the one memory I remember is I actually went to the career advisory help at Hunter College. And, oh, my God, I will never forget this. So I went up to um, one of the advisors and I told her my situation. I was like, hey, look, like, I'm trying to do nursing, but, you know, honestly, here are my grades. Like, what do you think? You know, what can I do? And she just told me straight up, like, oh, you're not going to make it. Yeah, she's like, you're not going to make it. Don't, like, you're not going to make it. And I was like, wow, you are so good at your job. Like, thank you. Right. Obviously, I was being sarcastic. And that was right. that was a super wake-up call for me. Um, and then, so from there, I just realized, like, all right, you know what? I need to graduate on time and make things work. Because if nursing's not working and pre-med's not working, then I need to make something else work for me. And uh, like anyone else, there was an urgency there. And for me, I was just like, something's got to give. And... I got to make something out of this life before it's too late. When did you try it out for college varsity basketball? So college was, was you know, it was different because right when I got into college, um, I focused heavily on pre-med. Mm-hmm. So for me, coming out of high school, playing varsity basketball, right. inside I really wanted to go right into basketball for Hunter College. But, um, you know, I think that the whole voiceover from my parents um, came into play and they were like, you know what, like, why don't you focus on studies a little bit more um, and then you can try basketball again. So I was like, all right, cool, that makes sense. So I definitely focused on trying to be in pre-med. Um, so I didn't play or even go out to play for basketball at the time. So it wasn't up until junior year that I was like, you know what, like, pre-med didn't work, nursing didn't work. Let me do, let me go back to what I'm passionate about. And I tried out for the basketball team around junior and senior year and I actually made it and that was quite an accomplishment because like anybody else would tell you like you have to have either connections or you have to have started from the from freshman year to be in the team simply because they need to know your face um and if you're not there they're going to recruit somebody else so colleges have their lineups ready before even the year begins so if you're not there and you're not in the conversation it's almost impossible for you to make the basketball team in colleges. Does the coaches in high school have mm-hmm. some connection to the coaches in college? They they have some understanding? Oh, yeah, 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 they definitely do. Um, depending on, uh, you know, what level of high school play you have and what level of high school play the, the college, excuse me, the, 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 the high school is in, right, right. they'll definitely have connections, wow. right? Um, and obviously you have scouts that are assistant coaches from different colleges, They'll come to watch games that are that are that are big games, and from there they'll select players and they'll come up to the players' parents and say, "Hey, we would love for your son or daughter to come and play for Hunter College or York or whatever the college is." When when you mentioned how you had that advice from uh, the counseling services, yeah, because uh, that really did recollect me to to this instance where when I started out as a pre med, uh, mm. I went to a pre med advisor uh, at that time, and. Uh, she told me, what are you doing besides uh, school? Because pre-med is high on volunteering, uh, right, hospital right. work, and so forth. And, and I was like, I think I want to try out for uh, soccer. Mm. And she, she had, she had a, her, her face. Yeah. <laughs> I could not, I cannot. Because uh, I think she, she was shocked that I said right. sports. Because I don't think they even advise you to mm. go into sports and be a pre-med. And it, right. I think it's, it's very important that we realize... Uh, just because they are advisors doesn't mm. mean their advice is good. Exactly. Right. Exactly, man. I mean, like, for example, how did that make you feel, right, when right. she said something like that? How did that change or affect your trajectory of that career? I mean, it, it did make me question, why why even 
because even if you are a pre-med, I mean, mm. you, you're still you're still someone. You still need to have some recreational way to live your mm. life. I mean, you need some form of sports, some way to help your health. You right. know, you can't just right. study for your whole life right. and right. be a healthy person if you're mm. trying to make someone healthy. You know what? I think I think you hit that nail on the head. Um, like what you said about the the advice that you got, right? Like just because she's a career advisor or, or a school career counseling advisor, whatever the title was. Right. Like their advice is not always going to be the best, right. right? And that not just to point a finger on her, mm-hmm. but that relates to anybody, mm-hmm. right? Um, at the end of the day, you know, it's really about what makes the difference and what's important to you, right? right? Um, and when I was talking and giving that panel last weekend or right. the weekend before, that's mm-hmm. one thing I really wanted to make um, make sense of is like, what does success mean to you, right? Because it's different to everybody. And right. just like the career um, counselor told you, like. Hey, why soccer? Why would you try to play soccer while you're trying to be pre-med? Right. But how would she know that soccer might have even helped you, right? That might even put you into the right state of mind to to follow this pre-med. It might even give you that boost that you need to get over the the hard courses. Right. It might even... Because quite honestly, in Hunter College, when I joined the team, there were um, academic tutors in hand that would help you out with courses. There were um, connections that you would receive from these uh, college professors because you were in the team, they would give you more priority. Oh, wow. And, you know, the one thing that I realized was when I joined the team, dude, they would let you select classes before, before everybody yeah, else. That's true. That's true. I you never knew priority. That. Yeah. So it's like, uh, once again, it's like, look, yeah, I mean, it might not seem like the best route, but hey, like if it doesn't work for this person, it doesn't mean it doesn't work for everybody. Right. Right. And if um, if that was the case, I mean... Everybody would just be, you know, out of a what are those like those cookie cutlets? Like everybody would be the same person, and that's right, that's right. boring, man. Right, right. Yeah, because uh, you mentioned how um, you have priority when you play sports and stuff. Because mm-hmm. I knew that when I was in sophomore year, I think mm. I knew about that. There was a friend of mine who was in wrestling team, I believe, uh-huh. and. Uh, for choosing pre med classes, right. it's it's a competition. It's, oh it's, my goodness! It's a competition because yeah, yeah. if your appointment is at ten fifteen, <laughs> let's say at ten sixteen, almost all the classes are oh gone. You goodness. know, like that so was. Yeah. It's, it's really good if you if you're playing a sports or if you're in those uh, Macaulay honors mm. or whatever. You have those priorities. Yes. And uh, what he told me was uh, he was he tried out for the team, mm. and he, once he was selected, right, he's considered an athlete right student athlete right uh, but he didn't go to the practices oh and he didn't play for the team huh. but he did get priority because he was an athlete <laughs> right right <laughs> so he hacked the system basically yeah you know that's funny because I actually remember a couple of um, of uh, Hunter College students that did that they had the fencing team in Hunter College right, right, right. and there were literally like 25 fencers man and right. I was like what the hell and only 5 of them seriously competed right and the other were just there to get those, like you said, the benefits oh, wow. of being a student athlete. And yeah. look, I don't blame you. If if it works, if it's your hustle, that's great, right. you know. Right. But like I was saying, I think um, you know, there's definitely ways to kind of beat the system and mm-hmm. and explore things that work for you, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, I think that goes back to your 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 conversation with that counselor. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, like, come on, man, just like wake up, you know. Right. Let's talk about you going back to Nepal, playing for national basketball team. How did that unfold? Oh my goodness, that was another journey, man. So I literally had zero contacts in Nepal when it came to basketball, right? I mean, I still have, I had family back home in Nepal that um, I could have stayed with and I did. Um, But when it comes to basketball, I knew absolutely nobody. 
And what I had done was after college finished, um, I looked at the options that I had. And I was like, oh, I know Nepal has a Nepali basketball team and they play with against India, Afghanistan and, you know, all the um, Southeast uh, Asian countries. So I was like, that's a great way to kind of gain experience and put my name out there. Right. right? Um, because with basketball, it's like any other job. They look for your um, experience in terms of what you've done. So if I could put that on, under my belt, I would, that would be huge for me. So I went to Nepal um, knowing nobody at all. And then once I got there, I started started reaching out to people on Facebook. Um, there was this uh, this there was this guy I forgot. I think his name is um, Tendi Tendi Sherpa. He was one of the heads at the um, Nepal's Olympic Olympic teams. Um, so he was a connection that I had reached out to on Facebook. And from there, I looked at his um, his uh, his friends list. Right, um, I was a little bit of a stalker, but I looked at his friends list and I saw that he had the Nepal's basketball um, coach as a friend. And then I had reached out to him when I got to Nepal and I said, hey, my name is Pema Sherpa. I played in um, Hunter College back in New York City and I would love to come see what you guys are doing and just join you in your practice. And I guess because he heard that I was from New York, he was like, oh yeah, yeah, definitely come by, come by. And I met up with them in um, Lincoln High School in Nepal. Yeah, great school, man. So I went there and met up with um, the coach, and I met up with some of the national team members. Great guys, man. They were so cool. And um, right off the bat, like, you know, I glued with them, and I connected with these guys, and we played a couple games. And from there, I got invited to the practice. Um, and then once I got invited to the practice, I started practicing with them, training with them, and then, uh, yeah, that's just how it came about, man. Interesting. How long did you play there? In Nepal? Yeah. It was literally just a few months because, you know, going back to what I was saying, um, I played and then I asked right out the bat, I asked the salary range for, not the salary, I mean, I guess it's salary, but the, the, the paychecks or the amount of money that each player was getting. Right. And I went to the, what's known as, well, who was the captain at the time right. for the Nepal national team. And I, I just outwardly asked him, like, hey, mm-hmm. How much money do you make a year for the team? And I'm sorry for being disrespectful because I know that's something that you shouldn't ask, but it's something that I need to know. Um, And he just told me, and again, that was nowhere near what I needed, right? And that was another eye-opener, and I was like, okay, like, you know what? This is not um, a viable option financially. And although it was a great experience and I would have loved to kind of see where it took me, I kind of got a little more ambitious and I said, you know what, let me go back and try for the ABA. And that's when I came back and tried out for the Philadelphia Skyrockets and all. How was playing in Nepal? Mm. I mean, because I don't know much about having, I didn't even know there was a national team in Nepal. actually. (laughs) (laughs) So how how was that experience even like playing in Nepal, Nepal's national team? Yeah, I mean, look, it's no secret, right? Nepal is in a lack of resources. Right. Um, so we didn't have the best courts. We didn't have the best um, equipment to work with. Mm-hmm. So it was really just you had to work for everything in terms okay. of like making things work. And um, like for example, if it's a practice, we had to reach out to different schools to see if we could use their gyms to practice. Oh wow! Um, and just an everyday thing, right? Um, but it was a great experience, and the level of play was actually pretty high. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the guys, obviously, they weren't as tall as American players, right. but they were just as quick. Um, they shot just as well. They were just as smart. 
um, yeah. in terms of like what to do with the ball, how to play the game. Um, so they definitely had the instincts and the, the proper um, fundamentals down. It just came to, again, I think the only differential was height. Um, mm. Height was the only differential and the athleticism was a little bit different. So you said this is something that I, I don't think I would like to continue. Mm-hmm. And you came back to the States, tried out for the ABA, the mm-hmm. American Basketball Association. Yes. And tried out a few of the teams. And mm-hmm. you mentioned how that did not seem like a viable option as well. Yeah, yeah. So what happened after that? So, you know, after after I found out that Philadelphia wasn't a great option, um, I started looking at the world of sports in a, in a, in a professional way, meaning... What else is there outside of just playing it, right? Um, what what uh, kind of professions are there? Because at this point, man, basketball was my background, right? Sports was my background. Um, I didn't have a background in biology. I didn't have um, the the highest grades. So I was like, I you know, I need to do or go towards what I know best, uh, what I'm passionate about. And yeah, basketball was that thing. And so okay, so I tried out for the ABA. And then I was like, all right, I need to see some money coming in. Right. So um, I looked at coaching. Um, and coaching actually wasn't something that I had outwardly gone out to pursue. It was something that was presented to me um, because some of my um, colleagues that I had known at the time, they were looking for some basketball trainers that could train their um, their, 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 ch- their children and um, some of their friends as well. So I was training people. And then from there on, I was like, oh, I'm pretty good at training. Um, why not make that into a profession, make some money? And that's when I got into my first career um, coaching job at Q Forest High School. And that was one of the private schools over at Q Gardens. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got into coaching. Interesting. How was coaching different than playing the sports? Um, you know, the, everybody has a different play style when you're playing basketball or any sport, right? right? Some people are more vocal. Some people are... Are more aggressive. Some people are more, um, I would say, complacent in terms of like what they're doing on the court. Mm-hmm. Like they don't really um, show out as much. Right. They just like to be a little bit more uh, on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, the way I play when I used to play was I was more so a floor general, meaning like I would set the scene. I would make sure the players are in the right places. I would really just be vocal in terms of letting players know what they're supposed to do. Right. So. Me having that experience in understanding the game and how it should be played, um, that was really just what allowed me to become a coach and just relay that type of information to the next generation. So, um, like I said, I knew how the game was, how the game should be played, what was effective, what wasn't, um, and not only that, but being a player, you know the small little nuances of basketball, right? Like how it play, how it affects your body. Um, how it is mentally, what kind of, uh, what are you anxious about in the court? So all those things I was able to kind of put into a small package and really just show that as a coach. And um, being a coach in Q Forest, I was I was uh, handling their junior varsity team, and yeah, so you know, seeing these young players, like I knew what they were going through, right. you know, because I've been through it, um, and I knew what they needed to do to be successful. So just those experiences really just helped me kind of guide them along the way and show some success along that part. So you did that for how long? I did that for about two years. Well, one year in Q Forest, but a couple more years, um, well, a couple more months in other other organizations. I see. Mm-hmm. 
was that the end of your coaching experience or you did coach after that as well yeah i coached a little bit after that i coached the nssps a women's team shout out to them they're right. they're a great group of girls very talented but when i was uh coaching in q forest we actually ended up winning the city title for um public school psaa public school athletic association we won the title and oh man you know you work so hard towards the goal right like you make sure everybody's on the same page every single day in and out um and then when you win that chip or championship you're so ecstatic and you're so happy but then there's the next day right, right? there's the next year and it's all right what's next mm-hmm. and looking forward i was um you know again i was looking to get more out of it mm-hmm. yeah so you were the main coach? Yeah, so actually um the main coach was handling the varsity team ah, and I, I was the main coach for the junior varsity. Ah, um you know, not to take any credit away, but the main coach definitely was there in all our games. Um because we were we actually went uh 23 and 0 before we lost like one game outside, but we were 23 and 0 for our conference, meaning the people that we actually play with. So we were undefeated um in our own conference and we went to the playoffs, won the whole championship. Um, we ended up becoming posted in newspapers in Queens Ledger and um, all those uh, little New York One TV series. Um, but that type of success, because well, it, it was great experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the head coach was the head coach for varsity, which is the older group, and I was the junior varsity coach. Uh, your choice of career. I mean, if we talk about how your parents saw your career path or mm-hmm. if you're, what you have done so far, right. how did they understand it? How did they react to what you have done so far? <laughs> right, right. I mean, you know, they weren't the happiest about what I was doing, right? And, you know, going back to what I was saying, it, it's really about them being concerned for me. Um, because they never saw anybody become successful off of it, right. right? When I was playing, they were like, "Hey, like, come on, uh, you're are you really going to be successful playing basketball?" And it wasn't anything to do like in a negative way. It right. was really just making sure I'm okay in the future, making sure I have you know food on the table, making sure I can support my family and them, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it was really just for them. It was it was so nerve wracking, I would imagine, because you know they don't have anyone else to kind of reference from right. to say oh yeah yeah actually this guy made it or actually this person made it and um they're doing this and they're making this much money so you're gonna be okay it was just like they were just like so worried they're like what the hell are you doing like where are you gonna go with this right. right and that's fair because even i was feeling that way um i didn't have any um role models to look at and say oh yeah they made it this way so i could do it too it was really just me testing new grounds so I know your brother is mm-hmm. uh, interested in basketball. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone else in your family who is interested? In yeah, basketball? yeah, dude. We actually have um, cousins that play basketball, and we had. Well, I have a cousin, Sonam Sherpa, and he was really good. He was a lot better than I was in basketball, right. and he actually went on to play um, in the Mongolian team, professional team. So he got a contract from that. He also did what I did and went to Nepal. And then from there, he um, got a contract to play in the Mong- uh, Mongolia for a few years. So he definitely um, was able to, to, to break through with that. Um, whereas for me, I kind of just went to the business side of it. He did that before you or after you? Um, a little bit after me. A little ah, bit after me. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. We talked about how you went on Nepal's national team. Yeah. What's not really a financially viable mm-hmm. opportunity, mm-hmm. came back and then went on to ABA. Mm-hmm. And that was not something that you wanted to continue right. as well. And now you're in this 
position where you were a coach. Yes. Did you see that as something that you wanted to do for the rest of your life or did you want to change now? Mm-hmm. Actually, so um, we won the championship for PSAA in the first year. And I really just went all out, right? I learned everything that there was to learn, at least from what I got. Um, when it comes to scouting, finding players, um, developing players, um, developing the program, you know, developing the practices and training camp. So I did, I felt I did um, everything there is to do as a, as a coach for basketball. And just looking ahead, you know, I wanted to see what was there in terms of like what's more. And I found the position of uh, director of athletics to be the next step. And, you know, some people would have um, said or they told me, they're like, hey, like you should coach for a few more years because you found the success here. Um, so, you know, see where it could take you. But I think it's just my own common or my own internal instinct told me kind of like, like, this is where we got to move forward. And I took the jump of going from coach to the director of athletics for um, Success Academy, and then the director of athletics for uh, Queens Community House. Yeah. So before we dive into that, mm. what is director of athletics? Yeah, so, you know, for any athletics program, in a school or in in a, in a college or whatever the case may be, there is a director that oversees all different programs, right? So the director might oversee the basketball, soccer, volleyball, any sports that's offered in the school. Um, that director would oversee it, meaning they would hire the coaches. They would make sure the budget is correct for each sport. They would make sure that um, the places that each team plays are reserved are coordinated, um, just making sure all the logistics, excuse me, all the logistics are correct. Um, yeah, so it's really again just the next level of athletics, um, the career of in athletics. How did you land that position? What, mm-hmm. Connections? Yeah, you know, it was really figuring out for myself um, what others were doing. Right, mm-hmm. so I would say it does have a little bit to do with connection because the way I found out about director of athletics was when I um, really just took my time to play basketball just to have fun. Right. And I was doing that at Hunter College recreationally. And I um, looked around and I saw an assistant director that I knew from back then. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to him and I said, hey, like, I love what you're doing. And I know a little bit about what your job entails. Right. But can you tell me how you got about it and what it took? And we set up a little um, meetup and we spoke about it. And from there, I was able to kind of see his blueprint and see what he did to gain that edge to to take a director of athletics job and i just ran with it you had that instance and you learned a little bit about what that role entails Mm -hmm. you tried to see how you're going to get into that position and uh, after getting that position so how, how long was that how long did you do that for so right after coaching i um uh i started actually applying for my master's program and while I was applying for a master's program, I had um, applied for a bunch of jobs that were um, either coordinator or director level position for athletics. And I landed one in Success Academy in Bronx. And I did that for a few months. And when I was doing that, um, I got into my master's program at Adelphi. So I was, you know, I was studying and going to school at the same time. And I was doing the director role. And then from there, I did um, Queens Community House. And that one was more... Um, I want to say more, I was more involved in that job and I was still finishing up my master's. So that's how I kind of got about it. You said you worked while doing your master's? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually, because it was a two years master's program 
And obviously the tuition, they, they don't, well, I didn't receive financial aid, obviously, for master's. So I had to come up with a way to pay for it. Um, so I had worked at uh, Success Academy and then at Queens Community House while completing my master's. Yeah. Uh, as what? As, uh, well, first role was um, coordinator of athletics um, for both Success Academy and QCH. And then once I received, um, well, once I completed my first year in my master's, I got the director level position in Queens Community House for athletics. How was master's compared to college? It was, oh my goodness, it was a lot more, um, the courses really just were more applicable to my daily life and jobs, right? Like the things that I was learning in my master's program for sports marketing and management, like it really was useful because I could relay that information and those skills to what I was doing at my job. And it was, yeah, it was a lot more applicable. So you did your master's in sports management and marketing? Yes, then you looked into the director of athletics job. Mm-hmm. Did you get it very easily or how hard was that? Well, it was actually like at the same time. So when I was doing the master's, I was also looking at getting the direct level position. So while I was um, doing it, I had actually put it on my resume saying that, you know, I would be completed at this time. Um, so I was still pursuing that director level job. Um, so I was fortunate enough to get that director level job in Queens Community House. Um, while doing my master's and you know having a master's or at least having being on track to receive your master's i think that gave me that benefit or that edge to kind of receive that position wherever you worked at they knew that you were doing masters yes yes they knew when you're going to complete it and then when you'll be ready for the job exactly interesting I never never thought of it like that because usually what we understand is that you go to school mm-hmm. and then finish it and then find the job. Yeah, you know, because I definitely had that wealth of experience in sports to, to begin with. So I think that kind of gave me the, the benefit of um, searching for the jobs while finishing the master's. Um, but I mean, I know in other fields, it's not the case, right? In other fields, like if you're trying to go for an MBA mm-hmm. with a psych degree right. as a bachelor's, like you're not going to get a great position. You might get internships, mm-hmm. but a coordinator or director level position is not going to be available for you. Right now, you're a statistics auditor at NBA. So from being a director of athletics to statistics auditor, how was that transition? Oh, man. So... <laughs> You know, I mean, I don't know if it's um, if it's really just being non-complacent or if it's just me kind of having that 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 ambitious uh, fire in me. But when I transitioned from coaching to coordinating to the director of athletics who oversaw all coaches, I still didn't feel like that was enough. You know, I just looked at it and I was like, all right, this is a great job. Um, it's It's fun while doing it. I'm having fun. But I looked up. Um, and I saw that a major league like the NBA, right. you know, even though I didn't get to play in it, um, <laughs> the major league like the NBA would definitely be a great look and just a great experience. Um, and, and, you know, this, this, this fire that I have inside me is, I, I'm not going to say that it's internal. It's something that um, my mom and dad like instilled on me, you know, because they came here working hard, right? So your only responsibility is to pay that forward. Meaning, like, you're responsible for going out there and getting the best thing you can get. So why would you be complacent, you know? So you said, let's do more. Yeah, of course, man. (laughs) How did you even know about the role of statistics auditor? So, man, I was, um, you know, I was really just looking at the NBA, what they were doing, right? Um, The jobs that they were looking to hire for. 
And they were looking to really just go more towards the digital content route, meaning like they wanted people to publish their content and really just make sure it's it's nice and clean so that it looks very um, good on TV or whatever else. Um, and then finally, this position opened up in operations for event operations, which was um, statistics auditor. And reading the job description itself, I was super confused. I was like, I don't know what the hell this thing is. But um, at the time, I had a friend in the NBA who was one of my college colleagues, right, that I went to college with. And I didn't have a class with him. I didn't really know him like that. But we played basketball every now and then in the rec leagues, you know, um, when we had time when I was an undergrad. And me and him, we kind of had a connection because we'd always make, you know, you know, have a have a little competition in between when we were playing. And then I saw on LinkedIn that he had made it to the NBA as a digital content coordinator. So he was filling the role that they were looking for, right? So um, I looked at my resume and, I, was, you know, my brother told me, hey, like, I think you're more than ready to take on a position in the NBA. And then I had reached out to, to, to my friend. And previous to reaching out to my friend from college, I had tried numerous times. I tried numerous times to get into so many different positions in the NBA, and I was just I was not coming up um, successful. And then when I reached out to him, and I was like, "Hey, DJ, like, look, um, his name is DJ, by the way. He's a great dude." And I was like, "Yo, like, I've been applying. Um, I think I'm more than ready. I have the background, but like, what is it that I'm missing? Right? Like, why am I not getting to the final interviews or or interviews in general?" And that's when he was like, he looked at my resume and he was like, dude, like, you're definitely more than um, experienced to be here in the operations side. Let me see what I can do. And he, um, he's like, obviously no promising pro- promises. So he reached out to one of his colleagues, which was in um, the recruiters, handed down my resume. Um, and the next day, the recruiter called me and he was like, hey, like, we saw that you were interested in this position. Why don't you come on ahead and interview for the role? And that's when I had to really just... Now that I'm there, I had to really um, showcase what I knew, right, and how it relates to the position there. I was there when you were a panelist on the NSSP event, and you mentioned in your professional life, you don't necessarily see yourself as a Himalayan. Do you? You know what? It's it's weird because before, um, when I didn't know or weren't involved in that much of a in, with the Himalayan community, I never saw myself as like an immigrant, right, as somebody from outside. But now that I'm kind of growing up and having more Himalayan friends and being more involved in these communities, then I started to realize, you know what, like, these are my roots, right? This is who I am. And, um, and you know, there's no way to kind of, it, it's shameful to kind of forget that. And I was ashamed a little bit of, of, of forgetting where I came from and who I was. So when I went back to Nepal, you know, not just the trip of being in the national team, but meeting my grandma in Nepal, right? And just hanging out with her, going to the 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 koras and um the 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 temples and that really brought me back to my roots and that wasn't even my intention so yeah now that i'm professional in america like i do have different jobs and i'm in the nba and working there and it's like i think about it and i was like wow like i'm actually representing nepal i'm actually representing himalayan community and like panels and um podcasts like this it allows me to kind of like say hey guys like there's a way here, right? Like, it's not just the traditional routes. And if traditional routes aren't the way, like, look, there's a different way here. You know, my brother and I, we actually, you know, we always have our discussions, um, which turn into arguments sometimes. But we definitely have our discussions and debates on, on, on certain topics. And, and identity is huge, right? Me and my brother, that's one thing we agree on. It's like, 
how identity affects one's development and the community in general. And um, yeah, it just like, for example, in the NBA, um, you have an employee directory in the emails. And when I went through the directory of people in the NBA, at least in the New York and um, New Jersey office, there was nobody that was Sherpa. There's nobody that comes out as, as a Himalayan, at least from what I saw, right? So, you know, you would, you would check the search list and I would like, okay, search Sherpa. There's no, there's, there aren't any Sherpas. All right, check any like Tenzins, right? Or, or just like any, any Dawas or whatever the, the, the typical names are and nothing came about. So that opened my eyes to be like, whoa, like I'm probably one of the first Himalayans to work in the NBA. And then with that, there's a responsibility there to kind of make sure that I represent our community in the right way, right? Make sure I'm, I'm behaving properly, make sure I'm kind of setting the tone for the people to follow. Wait, are, are you the first working in, in NBA? Or oh my you, God, dude. You might be, I mean. I don't know, like, because there's no way for me to kind of know that, right? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I could check the employee um, email list, right, right, right? And I could go down LinkedIn and see what's right, going on. But as of right now, I don't know the Himalayan. And I apologize in advance if there is one. But I just haven't met you. But dude, like, because I've, I've gone to, I was very, um, you know, uh, proactive in terms of like going out to all the meetings, going out to all the um, the clubs and making sure I'm there and meeting these people. And I've, I've, I'm in the um, Young Asian Professionals Exchange Club. So that's all Asians in the NBA. Um, I'm in the uh, Young Professionals Club also. So that's all the professionals that had just started or have had a few years under the belt in the NBA. And from those meetings, like I haven't seen anybody that's from Tibet, Nepal. You had extensive amount of years in formal education till master's. And uh, going from just studying and, I mean, you had experience coaching uh, previous to that, but working in NBA... How was that transition like going from a formal education setting mm. to a workplace? It, it was um, it was tough because the NBA, it being one of the biggest brands in the world, you have the most um, you have the top employees, right. right? Meaning like you have the hardest working guys in the sports league in the sports world um, because everybody wants to be there, you know, and and um, you have to show that day in and day out. So that transition, again, was, was, it was a little bit of a curve for me because I'm coming from a nonprofit organization like the Queens Community House to a global entity like the National Basketball Association. You have, um, I don't know how many employees in the NBA, um, you don't, you know, and then you have so many tiers of, of directors and, 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 and VPs and executives that you have to also make sure that you know and you're working accordingly to. So there was, it's it's a huge learning curve that I'm still trying to get over. Um, but it's an experience in itself. Yeah, it's definitely been a tough transition. You've been there for a year or two. Yes, just a year. Just yeah. a year. I see. So for someone who's, let's say, who's in college mm-hmm. and trying to enter the professional world, yeah, what do you recommend uh, going into professional world? Oh my goodness, start early, start early. Because one thing I noticed was when I was, um, when I started working for the NBA, I looked at the people that were working around me and it's either mid, upper mid to high level executives or fresh in college kids. So if you are an undergrad or if you're uh, doing your master's, 
apply, apply, apply to all the positions that are open in terms of internships because the NBA is an organization that really looks to develop its employees. So if you get in there young, they will look to keep you and develop you into a mid-level and an executive level as well. So they're looking to start young, right? Because with interns, it's, it's really just, you're obviously not paying them much or at all, but at the same time, they're there giving it everything they got. So it's just a resource that the NBA can use. And then it goes the other way as well. Is if, you're an, if you're an undergrad or, um, or a graduate student completing your studies, that's the best time to get in because you learn so much and you have an opportunity to kind of see if that's the field for you or not. Right. You know? what, what would you recommend if you're in high school? If you're in high school, start, um, start doing some research in terms of like where you want to work in terms of like what department um, because there's so many departments within sports, right? It's, I mean, obviously the game is the game, but within the game there's so many things. Legal, there's HR, there's um, there's financials, right? There's um, digital content. There's so many things. Event operations within the sports league and sports world that you really have to do your homework and you have to say, all right, if I want to get into sports as a professional career, where do I see myself? And Going back to your question, if you're in high school and you don't know it, that's fine. If you're in college, you don't know it, that's fine too. But internships are the best way to find out. Um, and that's, if you're in high school, um, make sure you do your research because I'm not too certain if they hire high school interns. But once you get into a freshman year in a college, boom, right away, start applying. You always asked, what is next for me? Or right. how can I contribute better? Or how can I do better than this? Mm-hmm. So obviously, there is more to what you're doing right now right so what is next for you oh man you know <laughs> i was okay so obviously what i'm doing is uh working more towards event operations right so that's more so thinking about logistics making sure everything is correct when the game is happening um so for me because i have a uh, my education in sports management and marketing i'm looking towards the marketing side right how can we make sports marketable and how can we make sure that the money's coming in properly um, so now that I have experience on court with events, I want to see if marketing is a place that I want to explore. Um, because with marketing, I think there's a higher, there's definitely a higher ceiling because marketing, you know, relates to any industry, not just sports. But if I could do it in sports and become successful at it, great. But if you know, sports is something that um, my marketing career doesn't take me, and it takes me to a financial industry. That's even better. That means I didn't have to do an MBA. Right. I just got it straight out of um, the the sports marketing side. So, you know that this is something that I found um, that's very trend, uh, transferable, right? Marketing is transferable because you can do that in any industry. So if I could tap into that and I could really just be flexible and go for the best, then that's a great option. Wow. How do you see yourself as a professional mm. in the Himalayan community? What role do you play, or do you see yourself, let's say, there is a, a national uh, basketball team in Nepal. Do right. you see yourself maybe even helping them in any way? Mm. Uh, that's a great question. I think not right now, you know, um, simply because I'm definitely still, I think, not even in the middle of my professional career, um, yeah. that I'm still developing into who I want to be, right? Um, and just really just expending all my energy I can to, to, to climb that mountain, per se, right? Um, so right now, I don't see that 
in anywhere near my future to help out the national team. Um, but I would definitely, definitely would love to give back to the country that I'm from. And I definitely have like a, a vision of what I would like to do. Um, and it's a project that I've actually been talking to our uh, chief strategy officer in the nonprofit world, um, my nonprofit job with. And me and him, we spoke about what I would like to do uh, and uh, see if, what the next steps are. So that's definitely something that's been pending. Um, but it's 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 definitely, hope you know, hopefully it's it's a project that I can take on in, uh, in the near future. Maybe in a decade or two, even a few decades mm. later on, do you see any people from our community playing mm. in the NBA? Oh, for sure, man. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because, you know, the sports world... Um, especially in America, like it's full of opportunities. Right. It's full of opportunities, and to kind of say like, "Oh, I think Himalayans aren't really going to be be there in a few." It's kind of um, is this a lack of of knowledge of of the landscape, right? Because uh, right now, a lot of focus in basketball has been about youth development. Right. So it's, they're starting young and really developing the kids in terms of skills of how to play the play the game. And with that leveling the playing field for everyone, that levels the playing field and that allows a lot more opportunity to the to communities that didn't have it before, right? So, for example, like even with um, with us uh, Sherpas and Himalayans, like sports wasn't our top focus. Right. And most of the time it still isn't, but we're able to kind of explore that landscape a lot more. Like a lot of our kids, um, a lot of my cousins, I'm seeing them actually like be active in, in sport teams at a young age. And that's what you're supposed to do. At a young age, get involved, be in teams, learn the game. And then from there, you have a shot. And I think in the, you know, in about five, 10 years, even if it's not the NBA, I'm sure we're going to be able to have some Himalayan community members or kids play for a professional team in China or Philippines or even Japan. You know, I definitely think that's possible. It's just, I think it just takes one, one or a few people being accomplished and seeing right. that, yeah, that's, that's something we can do as well. Right. And the parents might even say, well, that is something that mm. our, our kids can do. Because yeah. I think it's just our parents see that, oh, there's no one in that field in, yeah. from our community mm. and say, oh, that's, that doesn't seem like a viable option. Mm-hmm. And uh, once we have someone at least... I think we can the 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 trend will go up and then yeah it's just a matter of time. Right. I think yeah man like you said it best man it's really just about seeing it being done first. Right. right? And then and then once it's once there's an example or a reference point you can say okay this person did it right. and this is actually a way it's viable. You know and it comes you know goes back to really just um giving back to the community and letting them know like hey this is possible and um how would you advise the younger generation in our community to develop the go-getter mentality mm. or n- never settling for less? Right, right. Um, I think it's different for everybody, right? But for myself, um, I think that mentality came from looking at my own situation because I'm not even a first-generation American, right? I'm still an immigrant, right? I wasn't born in America. I was born in Kamandu, Nepal. Um, came here when I was 10 years old. So for myself, it was really looking at what my parents had given me. And um, I think personally, everybody has a responsibility to to go for more. What I mean by that is, if you're in America, if you're in 
any state in America, you have so much opportunity in front of you. And for you to not take that is really just, it's a waste, right? And for myself, what I saw it as was my parents are working hard day in, day out, every single day, right? So for me to kind of settle for any position and not take a risk at getting more was really just wasting their efforts and their sacrifices that they've made. So, dude, if you're in America or any other country, like, it's your responsibility to go for more. Like, why settle? I guess this is the best point to end the podcast on. So we talked about everything. Thank you for taking the time to join us, actually. Yeah, of course, man. This was actually really cool. And um, thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. It is certainly clear that there are a lot more stories like Pemba's, and we will try to cover that in the next episode by bringing another professional from our community. We are very much excited to see Pemba move forward in his professional life and want to wish him luck for his future endeavors. I want to thank all the listeners if you have reached this far. That's our second episode of Behind the Peaks podcast. Please follow us on whatever platform you're listening to and don't forget to leave a review and rating. Until next time, stay professional.